a slow fade. As believers in Jesus Christ who've been born again, who've been redeemed, who've been set free, we don't just wake up one day and decide to make horrific decisions that can ruin our family. We don't just wake up one day and decide to make horrific decisions to jump jump into alcohol or drug abuse. It's a slow fade. And that's the theme of Nehemiah chapter number 13. I want to talk to you this morning about the danger of the spiritual slide. The danger of the spiritual slide. You can go ahead and turn there if you have your copy of God's Word. If not, it'll be provided for you on the screen in just a few minutes. The second law of thermodynamics states this. In a closed system, things move towards disorder. That's the second law of thermodynamics. I think the same is true spiritually. If I'm not actively pursuing my relationship every day of my life, you don't just stand still. I'm sliding backwards. We live in a spiritually bankrupt and morally um, permissive society. So unless we constantly wage war against the devil and the demons of hell, there's not a one of us in this room that's not prone to that slow fade and that spiritual compromise. There's one man in the Word of God that Scripture tells us he was a man after God's own heart. Who was that? King David. And just like that, a man after God's own heart turned into a dirty old man. He saw the woman bathing. He could have turned and just said, man, you know, Lord, if that woman doesn't know you, I pray she'll come to know you. But he looked and he lingered. It's a slow fade. And before you knew it, he committed immorality and committed murder. It's a slow fade. We get so desensitized to the things around us. Now, this will will date me, and maybe some of uh, the people my age will remember, but, you know, there's specific things in your life that you just don't forget. I mean, there's a lot that I do forget that I wish I would remember. But I remember being, I was asking my mother the name of the store. It's called the Quickie Store in Cordell over near some housing projects. When I was a little boy, maybe seven, eight, nine years old, I'm in the Quickie Store, and a song comes on the Muzak loudspeaker. We talked about this Wednesday night in our adult class. And that song was called Bad, Bad Leroy Brown. It jolted me. It shocked me. You know why? Because it had a cuss word in it. I'd never heard a song on the radio at that time in the 1970s that had a cuss word in it. Now, we hear it all the time, and I don't flinch. You may not, because we hear it. We're surrounded by it. Um, Everywhere you go, people just talk filthy, and you can't turn on the television. You know, I remember again as a kid, you know, when those soap operas would come on TV, and they would have immorality on them, you know, during the afternoon daytime soaps. 24-7, 24-7, you can find them. You don't have to go looking for it. It's there. It will find you. We live in a morally uh, permissive society. How far we've gone from um, the Mary Tyler Moore show and the Carol Burnett show and the Flintstones and all those things. Now, you got to hunt to find something that's decent to watch. And if we think that cultural slide has not impacted the church of the living God, we are sadly mistaken and we're not paying attention. What is, if you had to say, what is the supreme cultural value today? I'm not saying this is the right thing, but if you had to think of cultural values, what is the supreme cultural value that our world prizes today? It's not a trick question or anything, but tolerance. That seems to be the supreme cultural value is tolerance. We're to tolerate anything and everything except 
There's one thing society won't tolerate, and what is that? Biblical Christianity. If you're just a social club to want to meet and have fun, they're all right with that. If you just talk about God a little bit, they're all right with that. If you start talking about Jesus and the blood and the cross and the empty tomb, now you're being judgmental. I mean, do you really say that people who don't give their lives to Jesus Christ, you really think they're going to hell? No, it's not what I think is what God says. My opinion doesn't matter. What does the Word of God say? People are terrified of coming across as judgmental. Even in the church today, people are terrified of coming across as judgmental. And I was reading the Old Testament this week. They wouldn't have done very well with the Old Testament prophets. People who are so thin-skinned and so easily offended today, they wouldn't have done well with the Old Testament prophets. You know, People want to make everything political today. Everything is not political. Everything is spiritual. And that goes right down to politics, to everything in our life. It really boils down to spiritual. But if you say anything that smacks of the political, people completely freak out when it's moral and biblical issues. What did John the Baptist say when he came up on a bunch of leaders of his day? He said, you're a bunch of snakes. You're a brood of vipers, but we live. No, you can't say things like that. People won't come back to your church. They won't be interested. They'll be offended. No, the slide into moral permissiveness, it's not a recent problem, by the way. Nehemiah faced it in Nehemiah 13. Once the walls were, you remember Nehemiah left his position as the cupbearer in the, in the Persian government, and he left when he heard about the destruction that was in Jerusalem. And he got the permission of the king to go back and said, I need to go back and help lead my people in rebuilding the ruins of the city. Not only the ruins of the city, but the ruined lives. And in record time, in 52 days, they rebuilt the wall around Jerusalem. That was an amazing feat. But really, for me, as we've studied the book of Nehemiah, and I've listened to Pastor Roger and Pastor Blake, and I've read this over and over again, the greatest thing in Nehemiah is not that they rebuilt the wall, but they rebuilt their lives. I mean, they basically had a Bible conference in chapter 10, you know. They read the Word of God, and people said, we need to line up under the standard of God's Word. Not only that, they signed a covenant. They pledged before God and other people that we're going to honor God's law personally and also corporately in our corporate worship. It would have been nice if the book ended right there in Nehemiah 10 and said, and they lived happily ever after. But it didn't end right there. Nehemiah 13 records that 12 years after being in Jerusalem, Nehemiah returned to his position in the Persian government. And once again, he hears of this slow fade. He hears of the permissiveness that permeated them. And he said, hey, I need to go back when he heard of lingering problems. And so that's where we are today in Nehemiah chapter number 13. Would you please stand if you're able and let's give honor to the reading of God's word for time's sake. I won't read every verse of the chapter, but let's just jump right in in verse number four. Elishib the priest who had been appointed as supervisor of the storerooms of the temple of God and who was also a relative of Tobiah. What do you remember about Tobiah? I think Pastor Blake preached on him. He was a bad dude. He had, Leroy Brown didn't have anything on him. He was one bad dude. He was so bad, Nehemiah said, we don't even want him around here when we're building the wall. But yet they'd converted a large storeroom, verse 5, and placed it at Tobiah's disposal. The room had previously been used for storing the grain offerings, the frankincense, various articles for the temple, and the tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil, which were prescribed for the Levites, the singers, and the gatekeepers, as well as the offering for the priest. I was not in Jerusalem, Nehemiah says at the time, for I'd returned to King Artaxerxes of Babylon in the 32nd year of his reign. Do the math, that was 12 years. Though I later asked his permission to return. When I arrived back in Jerusalem, I learned about Elisha's evil deed. 
It wasn't just a lapse in judgment. He said this was downright evil in providing Tobiah with the room and the courtyards of the temple of God. Lord Jesus, I thank you today that the power is not in a preacher or in a personality, but the power is in the Word of God. Lord, use your word to perform heart surgery on every one of us. Make us more determined to live our lives in such a way that we build walls of defense through your Holy Spirit against the spiritual slide that tends to happen when we don't keep our eyes on Jesus. Lord, for anyone today that's unsure of their relationship with you, that's the most important thing. I pray they'll come to a point today of realizing that today is the day of salvation. So speak to our hearts and make us more like your son Jesus protect us from that dangerous spiritual slide in the name of your son Jesus we pray amen and amen you can be seated you know the the spiritual slide is not just something I read about in scripture it's something I'm not proud of the fact that I've lived that spiritual slide I came to know Jesus when I was 15 years old on fire for the Lord no doubt in my mind got to go on my first mission trip it was to Tennessee orange people need Jesus too I went to Tennessee on a mission trip and living for the Lord and working hard and trying to keep my grades up so I could get in UGA and I let my life I let my life get too crowded to the point that something had to give and so for me I had no choice but to keep my grades up I wanted to be in the Georgia Red Coat Band, so I couldn't compromise on, on, on the musical aspect of what I was, and I, by the way, I lasted two weeks. I come from a little bitty town in South Georgia. I go to this big old University of Georgia. I just want to have fun. I, band was fun to me. Red Coats are serious about music, and I wasn't that serious. I just wanted to have fun. So God let me get my goal and said, nope, not for me. But I started to compromise in little areas. I didn't just wake up one day like the guy in the video didn't just wake up one day and decide to be full-blown rebelling against God. I hated alcohol with every fiber of my being. I watched what it did to my dad. I watched what it did to my dad's dad. And I hated it with every fiber of my being. And I was never going to touch that stuff. But long story short, you can fill in the blanks. I did. Not proud of that. Still, I was still in church every Sunday morning. But, you know, back then we had Sunday night church and Wednesday night church and Monday night visitation and prison ministry and all this other stuff. I just started to gradually compromise. And before I knew it, the thing that I hated had control of my life more than the Holy Spirit did. And it's only God's grace that I stand here today and I get to be your pastor and I'm not buried at Sunnyside Cemetery in Cordell or in rehab, Betty Ford somewhere. It's only God's grace. So they say the best way to learn is from your mistakes. No, it's not. The best way to learn is from other people's mistakes. Learn from my mistake. Guard yourself against the spiritual slide so that it does not happen to you. Spiritual compromise in Nehemiah 13, it snuck in through what? It snuck in through the spiritual leadership, through for one of the high priests. It snuck in through him. When Nehemiah returned, he saw that permissiveness was really rampant in every area of their life that they had pledged in Nehemiah 10 to guard. The house of God. had been defiled despite their previous covenant despite saying we're not going to do this that's exactly what happened the temple of God was defiled by letting an evil man he was an evil man you heard Pastor Blake's message he made fun of them he mocked them he nitpicked everything Nehemiah was doing he tried to discourage the work of God and all of a sudden he's living in the very temple of God God said it was evil and we learn in verse 13 28 that Eliashib the priest was intermarried with the family of Sanballat, another evil man and a tormentor. So it was natural that somebody who'd already compromised in his familiar relationship would compromise and he would accommodate Tobiah. So as a priest, 
He should have been setting the spiritual temperature for all the people. But what he did is he set a bad example of a spiritual slide. His actions remind them and his actions remind us. Listen, I, I hope you love your family. I love my family. My sweet mama, I got the best mama on the face of the earth. Bless her heart. I gave her a crash course in motherhood. She was 17 when I was born. She's here helping look after my wife who had surgery this year. I love to hear my mama pray. There's just something about a mama's prayers. My mama prays like nobody else, maybe because she's my mama. And I just love to hear my mama talk to Jesus. You know, I've, I've got a great, my parents divorced when I was, you know, middle school. But later on, my dad came to know the Lord. I had a stepmother who came to know the Lord. I'm blessed with a great family. I'm close to my sisters. I'm close to my kids. But my number one allegiance better be Jesus. If I'm going to be the best son, if I'm going to be the best husband to my wife, I'm going to be the best dad to my kids, if I'm going to be the best cousin to my cousins, Jesus has got to be number one in my life. Because if I let my family become number one, that's exactly what this high priest did. He allowed his family to influence him, and he made unwise spiritual decisions. Jesus said in Luke 14, 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, the New Living Translation says, by comparison, hate everybody else. Your daddy, your mama, your wife, your children, brothers, sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. I like that translation because he makes it clear by comparison. Does God want me to hate my mama? No. But my love for Jesus should be so supreme when you're measuring love in comparison. It ought to be hate. God's word warns and prohibits over and over and over again about marrying people and being in relationships that don't love God supremely. Evangelistic dating is dangerous. The scripture is clear. We're not to be unequally yoked. And single people, every date is a potential. We're just going out. You never know what those ooey-gooey emotions are going to do and make you get drawn to somebody that's not a believer. I've seen the damage over and over again as a student pastor for all those years. Full confession, I've seen the damage in my own family of marrying outside of the faith. If a family member tempts you to disobey Jesus, you better go with what Jesus said. In fact, Jesus said it this way in Matthew 10, 34, I came not to bring peace, but to bring a sword. When you live for Jesus, it may mean, uh, Truett students, you've heard Dr. Cantor's testimony over and over again. He was disowned by his own father who was a, a Muslim when he came to Christ. But his love for Jesus had to be supreme. Tobiah was not just a bad dude. He was an arch enemy of God. You wouldn't even let the man help build the wall. And now he's camped out in the temple. Not only is he living in the temple, the very room that he's living in was the room that was used to store the tithes. And Nehemiah talks about tithing. We saw the a few weeks ago several different times when the Old Testament prophet Malachi says we've robbed God and the people said have we robbed God he said you've robbed God when you don't honor him with the tithes and offerings but if, if we had time to read all of that passage in Malachi he calls out the priest he says not only have you robbed God of the tithes and offerings but the priest have disrespected by God disrespected God by using the temple for unholy things and this is what happened right here look at verse number eight Nehemiah said, I became very upset, and I threw all of his junk out of the room, all of his belongings out of the room. Then I demanded that the rooms be purified, and I brought back the articles for God's temple, the grain offerings and the frankincense. When people are rebelling against the principles of God, leaders have to make tough decisions. Leaders have to make it our business to deal with that and to take bold action if necessary. It wasn't just enough to throw the dude out. He said, it's been defiled. We've got to purify that. 
Uh, again, there are things, tr- I had a seminary professor say this, true learning is not necessarily what you remember, but what you will never forget. So what I just, the bad, bad Leroy Brown, that's something I'll never forget. Another thing I'll never forget, and I'll try to be generic because we're on the internet, was a part of a church where some evil things had happened, and once that staff member left, the staff, I was part of the staff of that church, we got on our hands and knees literally and wept and prayed spiritual warfare over that office. We, there was demonic stuff going on. You know, once it all came out, my son as a teenager worked part-time at our church in the Family Life Center. Of course, I try to protect my family from as much as I can. I was blessed early on in ministry. My pastor said, men, God called you to the ministry He didn't call and equip your wife to bear all these burdens, so protect your wife and your family as much as you can. So I didn't tell them everything. But after it all came out, my son said, Daddy, I I thought you would think I was crazy. But one night I was working at the church, and I had to come in. And when I went by that man's office, the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I got out of there as quick as I could demonic stuff. We got on our hands and knees, and we asked God to purge that. And that's what Nehemiah did. Let's get to the outline. Number one, God warns us that compromise always impacts our worship. God warns us that compromise always impacts our worship. Look at verse number 10. He said, also discovered the Levites had not been given their prescribed portions of food, so they and the singers who were to conduct the worship services had all returned to work the fields. I immediately confronted the leaders and demanded, why has the temple of God been neglected? Then I called all the Levites back again, and I restored them to their proper duties. And once more, all the people of Judah began bringing their tithes of grain, new wine, and olive oil to the temple storerooms. The things that mattered most to the people were put first. The things that mattered most to God were an afterthought. And because Malachi 3 says that the people had robbed God by not bringing the tithes to the Levites, their lives were cursed. That's what God's Word says. They were cursed. So the Levites and singers were not being cared for by the church. They had to return to the fields and start, you know, start working the fields to make money. It impacts your worship. Maybe, have you ever been to church and said, well, I just didn't get anything out of that. I just didn't get anything out of worship today. Listen, if all Pastor Matt did was quote Scripture today, you'd get something out of worship today, okay? Because the power is in the Word of God. If we come to church and say, I just didn't get anything out of that, we ought to look inside first. We don't look at the worship leader. We don't look at the pastor. We ought to look inside and say, are there areas of compromise in my life that are causing me to miss God's best for me? Is there unforgiveness in my life? If someone sinned against me and I'm holding on to that bitterness, it's a root of bitterness. It's like a cancer that will eat you up from inside. Maybe it's a, a critical spirit and you just nitpick people and then you go, but I don't get anything out of worship. It's a critical spirit there. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it's murmuring and complaining. Maybe you've robbed God of the tithe. I don't know what it is. But if you ever get to the point and say, I'm just not getting anything out of church, you better look in your heart first because God warns us that compromise always impacts our worship. Number two, God warns us that materialism can yield disaster. God warns us that materialism can yield disaster. The love of money is the love of money is not evil. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, okay? It takes money to pay your bills. It takes money to rent this building, you know, filthy lucre. It has to happen. But when your love of money outweighs your love of God, there's a spiritual problem going on here. Not only were they robbing God of the tithe, they were doing business on the Sabbath day. God was very clear about honoring the Sabbath day. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, right? If you don't think God was serious about it, it's one of the Ten Commandments. Look at verse 15. In those days, Nehemiah said, I saw men of Judah treading out their wine press on the Sabbath. 
They're also bringing in grain, loading on donkeys, and bringing their wine, grapes, figs, and all sorts of produce to Jerusalem to sell on the Sabbath. So I rebuked them for selling their produce on that day. Some men from Tyre, some foreigners who lived in Jerusalem, are bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise. They were selling on the Sabbath to the people of Judah and in Jerusalem at that. So I confronted the nobles of Judah. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this easel? He goes to the leadership, the nobles. They were letting this stuff go on. Why are you profaning the Sabbath in this evil way, I ask? Wasn't it just this sort of thing that your ancestors did that caused our God to bring all this trouble upon us in our city? Now you're bringing even more wrath upon Israel by permitting the Sabbath to be desecrated in this way. Not only could they not trust God with the tithe, they thought they couldn't live on the 90%. They thought they had to work seven days a week and they couldn't honor the Lord with the Sabbath. It was, it was a material issue, the love of money. These two things illustrate the problem was they love money and stuff more than they love God. Now, Christians, we are not bound under the Old Testament Sabbath right? The Sabbath is still Saturday for Jewish people. The Sabbath is different. In fact, the New Testament warns against arguments over the Sabbath. After Jesus rose from the dead, Sunday, the first day of the week, became the day of of worship for believers in Jesus because Jesus rose on the first day of the week. So it's the Lord's day. Hey, Hemerakuriake. I don't know why I remember that from Greek. It's the Lord's day. So we honor the Lord's day. I remember um, I had a part-time job as a, as a college student for a Christian-based company. They were closed every Sunday, did not sell beer and wine, and in their headquarters in Vidalia, Georgia, there was an open Bible, and, and in every store they had the golden rule, do unto others, you'd have them do unto you. Christian-based company. Then it comes out, hey, we're going to start opening on Sunday. We can't make people open on Sunday, but Mike, you're part of management, so you're going to have to work on Sunday. I had a decision to make. I knew God had called me to ministry. I knew ministry was my future. Grocery was not my future. And so I had a decision to make. So I wrote a four-page letter of resignation that was basically a sermon of honoring the Lord's day. And I said, this company is going to go under. You're not going to make it because you've honored the Lord all these years. And you say, preacher, we live in a different world today. I mean, you got to, you know, and I'm guilty, you know. We go out to eat on Sunday, and I'll apologize. I'm sorry for coming in today. If we didn't come out to eat today, you could have been in church with us today. It's people like me. It's my fault for doing this, okay? So I resigned uh, that position. You say, well, it's hard to get by in this culture. You ever heard of a little company that sells the Lord's chicken, Chick-fil-A? Six days a week, they don't work seven days a week, and they give away millions in ministry. I've been a recipient of their giveaways. My my wife and I got to go on a a trip on a sailboat with six other Christian couples from island to island in the British Virgin Islands because of Chick-fil-A's generosity through the Windshape Foundation. You can make it when you honor the Lord's Day. And again, I'm not saying we live under the, the same thing as the Jews, that Sabbath principle, but I think you ought to honor the Lord's Day. Nehemiah commanded that they honor the Lord's Day and the gates of the city be shut, and he posted guards to make sure that they stayed shut till the Sabbath. He blamed the spiritual leaders. This y'all letting it happen. Lost people act like lost people. The problem is when people inside the church, we start to act like lost people. Number three, God warns against compromise in our relationships. God warns us that compromise affects our worship. God warns us that compromise affects our relationships. Drop down to verse number 23 for time's sake. About the same time, I realized some of the men of Judah had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. They already compromised their worship. 
They already compromised their stewardship. They compromised the Sabbath, and now they compromised the most important part of their life. The most important decision any of us will ever make is to give our heart and life to Jesus Christ. The second most important decision any of us will ever make is who you're going to spend the rest of your life with. Who are you going to become one flesh with and do marriage and ministry with? He, God warned them about that over and over and over again. That immorality led to children. He specifically says the children don't even speak Hebrew. Why was that a big deal at that time? Because they couldn't read the Old Testament law, which was in Hebrew. He said, you've intermarried with people that don't love the Lord. Ezra had warned us in Ezra chapter 9 and 10. They were warned again in Nehemiah chapter number 10. In Nehemiah 10, 30, they signed a covenant. They said, we'll stop doing this. And you know, depending on your translation, it says that they were commanded not to marry foreigners. It's not about marrying foreigners foreigners. It's about marrying people who don't love God. Okay, there's no requirement of the kind of people you can marry other than this. Number one, they need to be of the opposite gender. And number two, they must love God supremely. It's crazy that I even have to say that, isn't it? But we have to state that in this culture. Nehemiah was concerned about parents passing on the faith to the next generation. When you get in a relationship with a lost person, the chances of your children going to hell just went up exponentially. You can love God and say, hey, kids, get up. We're going to church today. But well, why, daddy's not going to church today. Why should I have to go to church today? Daddy doesn't love Jesus and looks like he's doing pretty good in his business. Why should I have to go? The importance of marrying only believers. Nehemiah was concerned about them passing that on, and so should we. I, I thought about that. I think I've referred to the Deuteronomy mandate several times in recent weeks, but I thought I better read that today. Moses said in Deuteronomy 6, 4, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you Followers of God, Jehovah, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, not most of your heart, not 99% of your heart, with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Repetition is the mother of learning. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Jewish have the phylacteries on their foreheads with the, the law there. Write them on the doorpost of your house and own your gates. What's the point there? Discipleship, churches ought to be about discipleship, but discipleship primarily is a parental responsibility. It's nobody's responsibility greater than Mike and Julie to pass on our faith to our children, to John Michael and Holly. Now, it's John Michael's job to primarily pass on the faith to his son, my grandson, Wyatt. When we marry non-Christians, we really muddy the waters there. Listen, I would go so far as to say not only non-Christians, but somebody that's not actively pursuing their faith. If they say, hey, I'm Christian, I'm saved, I'm baptized, I'm part of a church. If they're not growing and active in their faith, when you're dating, when you're dating, you see the best, right? When you get married, you see the real picture. You don't know somebody till you live with them. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful where you let your heart go. In verse number 25, this sounds rough to me. Nehemiah would not make it in this culture. In this permissive, thin-skinned, easily offended society, Nehemiah would be run out of town. I confronted him, he said, verse 25. I called down curses on them. I beat some of them and pulled out their hair. Now, God doesn't say that's right, and God doesn't say, Mike, you ought to do that to people who get no. That's what Nehemiah did. There are things in Scripture, but because they're in Scripture, God's not saying this is how you should all do it. I mean, the Bible says uh, Judas went out and hung himself. 
Another verse, the Bible says, go thou and do likewise. He's not talking about hanging yourself, but he's just being real. We get the good, the bad, and the ugly in Scripture. I beat them, and I pulled out their hair. I've wanted to do that, but it's not not fitting under the new covenant. I made them swear in the name of God that they would not let their children intermarry with the pagan people of the land. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? King David was a man after God's own heart. Scripture says Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived. I don't think the man after God's own heart, wisest man who ever lived, I know I'm neither one of those things. And if those guys were not exempt, Pastor Mike is not exempt, and neither are you. Wasn't this exactly what led King Solomon of Israel into sin? I demanded. There was no king from any nation who could compare to him, and God loved him and made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by his foreign wives, plural. He was the wisest man who ever lived, but I always want, I always want to ask God, why do you have so many mother-in-laws if he was so smart? I don't know. Verse 27, how could you even think of committing this sinful deed and acting unfaithfully toward God by marrying foreign women? Nehemiah's reaction, we ought not to react that way. We don't beat people and pull out their hair, but he shows the seriousness of the situation. It wasn't just a fluke. This had gone on and on and on. And they would repent. They signed the covenant in Nehemiah 10. And yet they go right back to the same thing. That's the dangerous slide of spiritual compromise. What do we do with persistent sin in the church? When there's persistent sin and the same stuff goes on and on and on. I don't have time to preach on this today, but Matthew 18 is known as the passage of church discipline and restoration. God's Word tells us what to do. If your brother offends you, you go to him. If they don't listen, you take somebody with you. And ultimately, and I've been a part of a church, we practiced church discipline, sadly, and there were several occasions we had to dismiss people from the fellowship of the church. We loved them. We prayed for them. And you don't go from zero to 100. This, we're talking months of reaching out and trying to get people to repent before that happened. It's usually somebody cheating on their wife or abusing their children. You don't do this just over a small you know, disagreement. But if the disagreement continues and it becomes a problem in the church, you got to deal with it. But the goal of church discipline is restoration. The goal is never to get rid of them. Nehemiah used Solomon as an illustration of somebody whose wives turned his heart away from the Lord. The priest had allowed the grandson of the priest to intermarry with the family of Sanballat. Verse 28, one of the sons of Joada, I don't know how you pronounce that, son of Eliashib, the high priest, had married a daughter of Sanballat, the Horonite, so I banished him from my presence. That, that sounds kind of mild, get away from me. Note, the original Hebrew language indicates dude had to flee. He had to run and get out of there. Remember, this man had already beat him and pulled out their hair. He wasn't sticking around to see what was going to happen. The Hebrew language indicates that he had to flee. Nehemiah was ticked with their deliberate and willful disobedience. This young man refused to get rid of that foreign wife. So it's like he's talking about the grandson of the priest who, would, who refused to be removed from the community. Nehemiah's efforts touched every area of sin in the community. He could have said, let's just work on these two things, and we'll ignore this one. How often do I do that? How often do we do that? The Holy Spirit says, hey, here's five things, Mike, you need to work on, and I might deal with one, two, and three, but what about four and five? How disobedient do I have to be to be considered disobedient? Just just one. If there's just one area of compromise in my life, I'm, dis- I'm a disobedient Christian. Nehemiah dealt with all of it, and so should we. Let, let, let's try to land the airplane. Number one, will we stop tolerating what we know is wrong? They, they were tolerating what they knew. Was, an enemy was go- of God was li- living in the very temple of God. Spiritual decay starts when we 
tolerate what we know to be wrong. And it's hard in our society. Remember, we've gone from, you know, a song with one cuss word to now I don't flinch. If the TV's on, I'm just, you're just used to and I do flinch when I hear somebody cuss my God. That one, I still don't care how many times I hear that. I'm going to flinch when I see that because we're not, we're not to take God's name in vain. And I've said to people as politely as I know how, not being a jerk, listen, would you let me cuss your mama? You probably want to punch my lights out. I promise you, I love my God who sent his son to die for me more than you can ever love your mama. Please don't cuss my God. Don't be a jerk. Don't bow up on him. Just politely. Will we, will we stop tolerating what we know is wrong? Number two, will we stop compromising on what we know is right? They were putting up with things they knew that were wrong, and they also compromised on what they knew was right. They stopped bringing the tithes in the temple. Um, they let the enemy live in the temple. They became corrupt in their worship, their work, and their homes. Number three, will we stop the sin before the sin stops us? It's a slow fade. Maybe you're in the early stages of that slow fade. You used to read your Bible every day, and now you just skip every now and then. You used to be faithful to honor the Lord with his tithes and your love gifts on top of that, and now you don't do that anymore. Maybe you're in a relationship, and hey, when God says not to be unequally yoked, it's not just marriage. You don't get unequally yoked in a business relationship with an unbeliever. They don't have the same standard that you do. We need to honor the Lord in all of our relationships and be careful about being hitched up, unequally yoked. as like two animals that won't work together trying to get them to, to plow the field. They're going to fight against each other. That's what unequally yoked means. We better stop the sin before the sin stops us. Number four, it starts with being absolutely certain of our personal relationship with Christ. If, we don't, if we're not absolutely certain of our personal relationship with Christ, we're not capable of honoring the Lord in these other areas. If I'm not sure of my salvation, I can, I can do better. I can make some promises and say, I'm going to try to do better in this. But it, it's supernatural to have my soul transformed and the Holy Spirit of God comes to live in you to empower you what you can't do on your own. I mentioned I got controlled by alcohol. You may wonder, well, how'd you ever get out of that? I, I just... I'm not proud of this either. I'm just telling you the truth. I tried over and over. I tried. I hated it. I didn't like what it did to me. I tried to quit. I tried to quit. But there was always a half pint of Bacardi 151 in my closet just in case. Half pint's not a lot. Just in case. The devil makes sure that just in case always happens, okay? I'm a Christian. I'm convicted. I know it's wrong. So finally, I got mad at God, and I expressed it. God, you created me. I hate this. I want to quit, and I can't quit. You got to take this away from me. And it was like God said, you big dummy. It's about time you figured that out, Mike. It's about time. And I hadn't touched it since then. Have I been tempted? Yeah. I mean, it's been years, but in the beginning, even beginning in ministry, I was tempted, Things get hard at your thinking. If I had a drink, I'd feel better. Mm -mm. I, I know what happens. I, I can't tolerate that. Maybe you've started on that spiritual slide down and you think, have I gone too far? As long as you're sitting here, you got a pulse, you got breath in your body, you've not gone too far. First John 1 9 says, God allows you turns. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of near about anything bad you can do. Near about means almost in South Georgia. That's not what it says. Am I right about that South Georgia language? You, you identify with me there. No, all unrighteous. Well, preacher, you don't know what I've done. I don't have to know what you've done because God already knows. And he says, if we confess it, what does confess mean? He already knows. This stuff in the Bible I don't understand. There's a lot I don't understand. God says, I, you know that I know, and I know that you know, but I want you to confess it and admit it. 
Mike, humble yourself and admit that before me. And if you sin against somebody else, make it right with them. And God says, he will be faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So don't flatter yourself and think you've gone too far. Don't flatter yourself and think there's no way God can use me. Read your Bible. I already told you the man God said was the wisest man who ever lived, married foreign women and had multiple wives. I already told you the Bible says King David, a man after God's own heart, committed immorality and murder. So if God can still use them to write so much of his holy word, he can use a messed up dude like me, and he can use you. Would you pray with me? I don't know where you are today or what you're going through, but I know a man who does, and his name is Jesus. He can take that supernatural finger and put it right on the area of your heart that maybe until this morning you didn't even see it as compromise. Maybe until this morning you didn't even think it was a big deal. But the Holy Spirit of God put his finger on that specific thing this morning. And God, because he loves you, because God wants what is best for you, God's not trying to punish you. God wants to bless you to the max. So he's allowed his Holy Spirit to say, hey, here's something you better work on. Here's something you better confess. Here's something you better get some spiritual accountability on. Ask your friends to hold you accountable. Here's something maybe you need to come to the altar and pray about and bring some friends to pray with you. Maybe you say, I'm not drinking, I'm not murmuring, and I'm not gossiping. Have you lost your burden for lost people all around us? The reality is the majority of people that we come in contact with in the world today, they're lost and they're going to hell. Have you lost your burden for souls? that's, That's called sin right there. Ask God to help you get off that slide to compromise and to start actively pursuing, actively growing in Him and sharing the good news of the gospel with others. Pastor Matt said it earlier. We're learning this in our Wednesday night adult Bible study. Never in history have we seen more prophecy come true as we have in our lifetime. When I was lost, that scared me to death. I was terrified of being left behind if the rapture was true, and it is. I was terrified of all the things I read about to happen in the tribulation period. But for the child of God, we don't look down. We're not defeated. We look up because our redemption is drawing nigh. Our king is coming soon. We look to him and we rejoice. And in the process of our rejoicing, we purpose in our heart. We want to make sure we don't get on that spiritual slide downward. We don't participate in that second law of thermodynamics, but we want to grow in our faith with him. Lord Jesus, save the soul in this building closest to eternity apart from you. Save the soul who will hear this message later this week on the internet who's closest to eternity apart from you. Lord, for the Christian who's like the man in the video we just saw, they're headed for disaster and they don't even see it like a lamb, like a sheep being led to slaughter. Open spiritual eyes, Lord. Captivate us with your attention. Let us get a glimpse of your holiness that we sang about so that we want to live for you no matter what. Pour out that revival that we sang about earlier. Lord, help us to draw a circle around ourselves. Not think about the person in front of us, behind us, or beside us. But Lord, help us all to draw a circle around ourselves and say, where am I spiritually? Is there anything in my life that's going to hinder God truly pouring out revival on Transformation Church and Northeast Georgia? Father, thank you for your spirit and your word. Thank you, Lord, for even the times that it hurts me. Thank you for the times that it cuts me and it hurts my feelings, Lord. It's not because you're trying to punish me. It's because you love Mike and you're trying to rescue Mike from disaster. Help me to respond to that in obedience to you. In the name of your son, we pray. Amen.
and amen.